Never underestimate the power of one faithful decision. You just heard incredible testimony by Andy of how his entire family came to know Christ and how all their families now helping people not only here but around the world know about Jesus Christ. But it all started how one person inviting a friend to come to church. You never underestimate that one act of faithfulness. It may not look like a big deal. It may not look like, well, this is not even important in the big picture of things. And yet, you never know what God's going to do with the outcome of that. Now, I'm going to tell you something. It's kind of a confession time. I um, had my wife here last night, and I said, I'm going to come clean. 39 years, I never told her this story, but long before we met, um, I dated a twin. Now, I know there's some twins in the room. How, how many of you are twins in the room? All right. Few? Couple? Three? Okay. Last night, there was quite a few. Um, and uh, anyway, people would ask me, uh, how could you tell uh, the twins apart? And I said, well, it was really pretty simple. I said, uh, the one I dated had a little dimple on her cheek, and uh, the other one, Tom, he had a beard. Yeah. <laughs> Y'all are so easy to mess with. Um, all right, here we go. We're going to deal with some really hard stuff. Are you ready? All right. The Bible is the foundation. Listen very closely to me. The church does not get to determine what the Bible teaches. The church must teach what the Bible delivers. We are morally responsible. Now... The, the falling rate, if you look at the rate of Bible-believing people in America today, it's frightening. Now, if you ask people, are you Christians, they'll say, well, yes, I, I'm a Christian. I'm not Buddhist. I'm not a Hindu. I'm not Muslim. But if you ask them what they actually believe, most of what they believe is anti-Christianity. Because it's not biblically based. It's basically their philosophy tied to a few biblical stories. And it'll come out in today's culture like this. You will hear preachers say, I don't think the Bible is the word of God, but I think it contains the word of God. Okay, that makes you God because you get to decide what parts are of God and which ones aren't. Or you'll hear people say, I believe it's the word of God, but I think it's full of allegory. Like the creation story, Adam and Eve, and um, Noah's flood. And those are great stories. There's principles we can learn from those. Uh, and they'll go so far as even to say, we're not even sure if Jesus lived. If Jesus didn't live and the resurrection's not real, then we don't have a faith to talk about. But I'm telling you, this is where Western, specifically U.S. Christianity is headed and less than 25% of American quote unquote Christians say they believe the Bible is the word of God. How many of you think the Bible is the word of God? All right. Yeah, I do. I do. I believe Adam and Eve. I believe in the virgin birth. I, I believe all of it. And the thing is, I'll defend it with you. You got questions? I'll be happy to answer your questions. What I am fascinated by is how many people that reject the Bible and they've never read it. No idea. Read the book, 
If you want to go with me, we'll go to Israel. We'll go to the places. We'll, we'll unpack this, and I will show you historically, archaeologically. I will show you through anthropology. I will show you how the Bible is true at every single turn. But it's real easy to say, ah, that didn't happen. So you're smarter than everyone who's ever lived. It, that must be a powerful place for people to be. But it's very sad. And a pl- it's actually a place called dualism. But let me not get ahead of myself. Let's, let's read the passage. <coughs> this is in Acts 16. Please stand with me. And we've got, we've really got um, <clears throat> one more week after this. Acts 16 is so loaded. If you remember last week... Uh, Paul and the crew were traveling through Asia and they were going city by city sharing the gospel. But then the Holy Spirit stopped them from going to certain cities. He hears a call, come over here to Macedonia. So he heads off to Macedonia. The capital city of Macedonia is Philippi, Philippians in your Bible. And this is the story. So from Troy, we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. And the next day, we went to a city called Neapolis. From there, we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district of Macedonia. And we stayed there several days. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of these listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. You can be seated. Now we don't know whether she had baked goods, if she gave them recipes and that's how she persuaded them uh, to come. We don't know the answer to that. But here's the bottom line of everything I'm going to tell you today. All of the Western uh, culture, all of Western Europe, all of the United States owes our faith to a woman named Lydia. This is the first convert in Europe. She takes a step of faith. Now, I don't think for a minute that Lydia thought, you know what, I'm the key to Spain and Italy and Greece and Albania. I'm the key to London and I'm the key to the, to the Vikings coming to know Christ and these Americans that don't exist yet and the Canadians. I don't think she thought that for a minute. But never underestimate the power of one faithful decision that you make. But let's go back to where we were. R.C. Sproul warns about this liberal Christianity that does not hold to the authority of the Bible. And R.C. Sproul said liberal Christianity is not Christianity at all. Liberalism in, in its attempt to be Christian, he said, I believe it's the greatest threat to biblical Christianity in this world. The problem with liberalism in the church is it seeks to persuade people that what it's teaching is in fact Christianity when it's the antithesis of Christianity. Wow. Now, R.C.'s with Jesus, so he's good now. 
But he's saying what's preached in most churches is actually the opposite of Christianity. We preach what people want to hear and we say things that are simply not true to the facts of the word of God. And he said the biggest threat the church has. Now look, it's not the world. It's not Satan. It's not Chinese communism. The biggest threat to the American church is a weak liberal church that doesn't believe in the authority of the word of God. It's called dualism, pluralism, right? If you don't know what it means, let me help you. Because this is a battle that we all struggle with. All right, pluralism is the idea that what I do with my body and what I do with my soul are two different things, okay? So you come here to church and you sing and we, not you, we, we take communion, we worship together, but then we will go out tonight and do things with our body that are absolutely the opposite of what a Christian ought to do. Can anybody relate to what I'm saying? See, this is the battle we all have. It is the battle we all have <clears throat> is to reconcile what my body does my thoughts, my words, my actions, my money, uh, my behavior, my morality, how I reconcile that with my soul and my spiritual side, that's pluralism. Now, in the Greek culture, now this is, we're in Macedonia, it's a Greco-Roman kind of a culture here. In Macedonia, they worship everything. All right. Now, the city that we're in, the city of Philippi, named after Philip II, Alexander the Great's dad, and they worshiped just like the Greeks did. They worshiped everything. You'll, you'll find out when we get to Acts 17, if you haven't read that, when Paul gets to Athens, he said, there were so many statues, you couldn't even walk through parts of the city without stepping on another statue. Because they had a, they worshiped every God. Their idea was if we worship them all, then we won't miss one. But then they thought we might miss one. So they built an altar to an unknown God. <clears throat> and Paul came in and said, hey, that unknown God, let me tell you about him. Because he's the real God. Now, Here's where you get into trouble. People say, and you see this ridiculous stuff online all the time. 5,000 religions and you Christians are just sure that you're the only ones that have the right answer. I'm the only one that's got a resurrected Savior. Anybody else got a resurrection story? I got one. All right. See, there's, there's the game changer. And you're told that all through the New Testament. That the reason you can have confidence in your faith is the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. His life proved that he was the Savior. Him coming back from the dead proved that he was God. There, there's your answer. But this battle with pluralism rages inside the culture. And sadly, it rages inside the church. But here's what Paul said. This is Ephesians. There is one body. That's the body of Christ. One spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Do you see a word there that sticks out? <clears throat> all at the end, all, 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 and in the middle, one. One. 
One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one hope. So the Bible says that pluralism is to be rejected. All gods are not equal. There is one God. And despite what people are trying to spin today on our country, this country was built upon the idea of one God. When you read the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence, read the first and second inaugural addresses of Abraham Lincoln, <clears throat> there's no doubt. Read George Washington's inauguration. that he, They all quote scripture from the Bible. They're talking about Jesus himself. The foundation is very clear no matter how people try to spend it. I'm telling you, reading is a powerful thing. The people who talk the most about the Bible usually know the least. And the people who talk the most about the Constitution and Declaration most of the time have never read it. It's an amazing thing when you actually read the documents and then you're prepared to answer questions. And listen, you've heard me say this many times, but for your soul's sake, don't go to hell because somebody else read the book or didn't read the book and told you how to think. At least read the book for yourself. At least make your own decision. But let me tell you about, about this place, all right, just in case you're wondering. So Paul sails into the port of Neapolis. Now, this is the word Neapolis just means new city, Polis city, new city. Um, here's what it looks like today. I've been there. You sail in. Literally, you land right. You, your boat will go right to the spot where Paul landed. I had fish and chips right where... Right where Paul got off the boat. Here's the city of Philippi today. <clears throat> 2,000 years later, here's some of the ruins uh, that are still there. This is of a 4th century church, so that's after Paul. Uh, here's a theater from the actual time of Paul. This would have been there when Paul was there, a theater that seats about 50,000 people. And then Lydia is outside the city. We'll get to that in a minute. And... They're out by the river and she's going to be baptized. And we know the exact spot where she was on the river. How crazy is that? 2,000 years later and I can take you to the spot where Lydia was baptized in that river. Don't tell me the Bible's not trustworthy. Because we can go, we can do that on every story in the Bible. We can go wherever you'd want to go. But this whole idea of, of, of pluralism, dualism, and here's what I think. I think the reason we struggle with it is because we're not 100% confident in the Bible. And because of that, I want to make sure I hedge my bets and I go out and have some fun on the side just in case the, the Bible's not true. But then I'll come back to church because I hope it is. That's a dangerous place to live. So what happens in the middle of this dualistic culture, okay... This Macedonian culture that worships all these things. <laughs> Here's this young lady named Lydia. Now, again, when you really look at this story, the whole story doesn't need to be in the Bible. Why, why is it here? Always ask that question. <laughs> why? Why do I care that there's a lady that makes purple cloth and she gets baptized? Big deal. Okay. Lydia is not Jewish to begin with. She's from a place called Thyatira. There are no Jewish people there. So she's a convert. Some Jewish person has converted her through the Bible, convinced her that the Bible is true, that Adam and Eve and Noah and the prophets and all the, prophes the promises about the Messiah that's going to come, they've convinced her of that, and this lady has become Jewish. 
Paul goes outside the city because inside the city, what are they worshiping? All the idols. So Paul wants out of the city. So he goes outside of town to the river and hears all these ladies, or a group of ladies, we don't know how many, who have converted to Judaism and they're looking for a Messiah. They're looking for that promised Messiah that the Old Testament has told them about. And Paul pulls up a chair and explains Jesus and the resurrection. And on the spot, Lydia accepts Jesus. Not just Lydia, what else? Her whole family. Her whole family's baptized right there in the river. A change like that. <clears throat> and it says specifically because God opened Lydia's heart. And that open heart is so, so important for all of us today. <clears throat> that we are willing to listen to what God has for us. Ezekiel 36, 26 says that God will give us a new heart if we'll ask. And he'll take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. I'm guessing there's several of us here in the room that could use that verse. God will take away our heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh. Or maybe you're on the other side of this heart issue. And it says in Psalms that God will take away the crushed spirit. He will take away the crushed heart and he will rebuild it. But let's talk a little more about Lydia. So what do we know about her? What we know about her, she's a convert. We also know that she's very wealthy. Why do you know that? Because purple was unheard of in that day. See, they didn't have a Bells or a Walmart or you know, there was none of that. All the cloth was handmade. And there was only one place up on the Mediterranean coast that you could get the dye to make purple. Sounds weird. And guess what? When there's only one place to get dye and there's only a few people who can make purple cloth, guess who wears purple cloth? The kings. The kings and the priests. Nobody else. Sorry, you and I would not get to wear purple. None of us. All right. So she is a wealthy cloth maker. She obviously has a large house. Because when she invites them back to her house, it's not just Paul. It's Paul and Luke and Silas and his whole entourage. And she's going to invite them all to come back. But it starts with an open heart. And we always talk about this here. And I, um, I, I don't respond to things on Facebook. It really gets my blood pressure up. And I'm afraid that if I ever started, I'd have a stroke. And... Um, <clears throat> But I do get to respond, so I, I'll kind of put together some things here. Uh, I mean, I'll, I'll tell you happy birthday and stuff like that, but I just try to stay out of controversies. But one of the things that I've been reading about over the last few weeks is how hard-hearted and mean-spirited we Christians are. And, of course, I always ask the question, how many atheists are feeding people and how many atheists run to sites to rescue people when they're a disaster? And uh, I know the answer to all those questions, but yet the Christians get beaten up. And the latest mantra is this, that you Christians only care about unborn children and once they're born, you don't care at all. Hmm. Allow me to quote. Head off to Planned Parenthood and ask them for diapers, formula, a crib, 
help for your rent, food, bill assistance, education for your children, health care. And then come tell pro-lifers that they're the ones that don't care about children after they're born. Everything on this list, this church does every single day. You can give yourself a hand. But you got to have an open heart. Again, I see people yelling and screaming all the time about stuff. And I'm like, well, what are you doing about it? I don't care if you're in the church, outside the church. What are you actually doing to solve a problem? It's not difficult to walk around and yell and scream at people. But you don't solve anything that way. You solve things by getting in the middle and helping. I'll volunteer my time. I'll give my resources. I'll do whatever. It's the open heart that changes. Uh, it's the difference between a non-Christian and a Christian. That says, you know what? Now that I'm a Christian, whatever I have is God's. Let me give you, let me give you one more example just for fun. All right, let me show you this ancient text. This was found. Oh, let's do the ear first. Let's do the ear first. So, yeah, you know, I, I do a lot of Egyptian stuff. And so I come across this ear online. And this guy's going crazy about this stone ear. And he says, can you believe the incredible perfection of this ear? And it was done without any modern technology. And I looked at it and I said, yeah, it's a pretty good ear. And then I thought, and my evolutionary friends want to tell me that the 10,000 connections that go on inside your ear and my ear so we can hear each other right now, that happened without design. Give that some thought. Now let's go to the archaeology. Okay, this is two weeks old. All right, I'm keeping you on the cutting edge. <clears throat> right here. Anybody read ancient Hebrew? Especially tiny ancient Hebrew? No. In Numbers 22 and 23, there's a great story. It's about a prophet named Balaam. Does anybody know about Balaam? Balaam is famous for a talking donkey. Okay? And, of course, that story gets a lot of blame. Uh, and again, I say, you know, if you're God and you're trying to fool people into believing in your book, do you have a talking donkey in your book? I just asked. Um, but it's a fascinating story about the donkey being able to see into the spiritual world where Balaam the prophet could not. And, of course, again, liberal Christians, Balaam never existed. The story's a fable. None of it ever happened. In the Bible, his father's name is Peor. So his, list, his Bible name is, is listed as Balaam, son of Peor. Two weeks ago, they were digging and they found this. And it's not much there. Right here, it says Balaam, son of Peor. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. I love it when he does that kind of stuff. Of everything that might be saved, it's amazing what God brings along and pops up. So I don't know whether you've got a hard heart and you need to soften it up and you need to turn that heart over to God and say, God, what do I do? Or if you have a crushed spirit, a crushed heart right now, and you need God to help restore that. That's what Jesus is all about. But then the winner is a, is a verse that seems totally unnecessary. I mean... We're in the middle of planting churches all over the world. We're trying to change people's eternal destinies. And 
I got a story about Lydia inviting them to dinner. Is that important? Paul doesn't want to go. And she finally convinces him. We don't know. Maybe she said, look, my house is big enough. I've got food. I've got resources. I don't know. I have no idea. It doesn't tell us. But here's what I will tell you. For the rest of Paul's ministry, before he gets arrested and ends up in Rome, Lydia's house will be Paul's home base. And Paul will cover the rest of Europe from Lydia's house. They will go out, they will plant churches, they will share the gospel, they'll come home and they'll take a break and they'll hang out at Lydia's. And then they'll go again and they'll go to another part and they'll retrace their steps and go visit some of the churches. Now, you're thinking, can my one little act of faith make that big of a difference? I don't think that Lydia thought, I'll bet you the United States of America is going to be one to Jesus because I let Paul have dinner at my house tonight. Not in her wildest imaginations. But when you and I do one act of faith, you never know what God's going to do with that one little act of faith that you did. The person you invited to church, what if they go on to win thousands to Christ? What about that one person that was brokenhearted and you spent time with them and they got right and who knows where their story goes? See, that's the beautiful thing about faith. We do what we're called to do and then it's amazing what God does. Now listen, here's what I can promise you. No matter what step of faith you take, there will always be somebody there, and I'll say it, probably another Christian, that will say to you, you're crazy. You're crazy for giving that money. You're crazy for giving your time. You're crazy for going on that trip. You're crazy for going into that neighborhood and trying to help those people. Don't you know who those people are? <clears throat> I like what Babe Ruth said. I was a little, miss, didn't get to see him play, a little, not quite that old. But Babe Ruth said, the loudest boos always come from the cheapest seats. And he went on to say, the people that invest the smallest in you will always be the most critical of what you do. Now you give that some thought the next time you get ready to do something great for God. There will always be that critic there, but ask yourself, how much is that critic actually put into my life? And what are they actually doing for the Lord? There's <clears throat> some serious questions that need to be asked and need to be brought out. Tell you a story, we're almost done. I'll tell you a story about Nicholas Winton. This is a cool story. Nicholas Winton was a, I think he was a politician in England. I'm, I'm not exactly sure. But <clears throat> when he died, they'd listed all these crazy things he did this in the government, this in the government, helped with this, was in the war. And then almost as a footnote, there was this statement that during the war, and during a terrible time in Munich, Nicholas went out and rescued 669 babies from Czechoslovakia who were going to be killed. Just kind of a footnote. One act of faith, he rescued 669 babies. I wonder how many people now, how many descendants of those people are now out. He's got to be in the tens of thousands. The descendants that have, are there because of one man's act of courageous faith. Let me finish with this. We'll talk about the boss just for a minute. Anybody know who the boss is? 
born in the USA. They bet me backstage that I wouldn't do that. Born in the USA. All right, that's enough. Maybe the only church in America you'll hear that today. Here's what Springsteen said. This is very, very telling. And this is what I'm talking about, a dualistic culture. He says, the music that I play is forever why I exist. He says, it's the stage and it's the rush. He said, that stage and that moment is what you live for. But he said, sadly, it never last. But he said, that's what you live for. Well, let me help you. If he's listening from Perth Amboy, let me, um, let me just say this. There is a rush that lasts forever. That's eternity. That's the hope of heaven. See, we try to find those things to fill in the gaps. Something that will give me purpose here, but it doesn't do anything for eternity. So if you need to accept Jesus, this is where it starts. There'll be people down on both sides of the stage. <clears throat> if you're online, there's a button. I've decided you can hit that button. But Lydia, when God opened her heart, she didn't waste a second. Not only did she accept Jesus, but she brought her whole family to Christ. And everything changed in an instant. Don't ever doubt the power of one act of faith. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you've given us in scripture. And I don't know. I don't know who's here, who's listening, who's watching. I don't know who's got a broken heart. I don't know who's got a hard heart. I don't know who needs to accept you today. I don't know who needs to open up their home for hospitality or help children or change Philadelphia. I don't know. But Lord, I pray that we would all have open hearts and we'd listen to what you're saying right now. In Jesus' name.